Very good. It's good to see you here this morning. Uh, we want to give thanks to Pastor Brendan for getting us off to a great start in the book of James these last two weeks. And uh, I get to uh, carry on here and, and lead us in our time for today and, and next week also. Um, so today we're talking about the handling or mishandling of our trials. All right. Now, I'm a good Western, uh, Midwestern uh, boy. Um, grew up in the land of 10,000 lakes. And uh, 10 million mosquitoes. And 10 times the cold and snow of any other state, it seems like. And we would often hear the claim that all of that built character in us. It is all to build character. I'm sure every, you know, state does that in some way or another. Well, it's just building character. In fact, many of you know Garrison Keillor coined the phrase... In his uh, fictional stories of Lake Wobegon, where all the women are... Oh, man, you guys need to... Strong! All the women are strong, and all the men are... Good looking! Amen. And all the children are above average. Okay? And we can chuckle at that, and I always did. And, but you know what? Minnesotans take that very seriously. Okay. But when it comes to trials and difficulties, what about the community of Christians? What are we known for? How do we respond? And that's the challenge before us. How do we handle these trials and difficulties that come? It sure does help having a little um, humor added to things, but sometimes humor doesn't work to handle it because there's a lot of tough stuff that happens in life so we want to try to understand what the the passage is telling us here so we're in james chapter 1 starting at verse 12 james chapter 1 starting at verse 12 blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. And so, Father, we thank You that You are the author of this and You're the author of the, of the Word. It's Your Word. And we thank You that Your Holy Spirit guided and directed men to write down what You would have so that we would have Your Word. 
Help us to have hearts that are ready to receive. Help us to lay aside the cares of the world and the distractions that so easily uh, mess things up. Help us to lock in with what you have right now. And guide me and help me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, there's really two and two. It breaks down to two and two. There's four points here, but two of them are positive, helpful, and two of them are more problematic in these ways in which we handle trials. So number one, the triumph in testing. Um, everyone faces trials. Everyone faces difficulties. Okay? And the, the point behind it all is that there can be triumph in the testing. And so we look at verse 12 for this and uh, break down this, uh, this particular verse. Verse 12. We start with one key description of the true believer. Remember, James is about tests for the believer. Genuine, uh, tests for the, a genuine faith in the believer. And so letter 1A is the term blessed. Blessed in the scriptures really ends up meaning here's the profile of genuine faith in the individual. It's blessed. Blessed is this person. Jesus said it on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Right? And he, he kept saying that over and over again. Blessed. And so this is what characterizes the Christian. It's because you, if you're a Christian, you possess the new life. You possess that. You possess the life that he's given to us. And that results in real blessedness. And the Christian is happy because of Jesus. Okay? It, it boils down to that. Because of Jesus and His perfect work. Yet, because of the trials and the difficulties, we can easily get distracted and off course and off track and not be happy. <laughs> we don't count it all joy. We count it a headache and a heartache. And so it's easy for the Christian to get off track from what God's will is. It's God's will that I count it all joy. It's God's will that you count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And I've said this before in the past. We don't want to count it all joy to fall into or encounter various trials. We want to count it all joy to what? Escape the trial. Hey, I got out of that one. And God doesn't want us to do that. Okay? So, letter B is about persevering. It's by persevering. That's what we're called to do. Blessed is a man who, what? Remains steadfast under trial. We're called here to endure. And it's the word abide. Remain there. Remain under the trial. It's this, the, the root word means to abide, to remain. And it's got a prefix to it, hupo. Okay? Remain under. Remain under the trial. That's an adverse situation. We don't like that. 
But this is how a person can stand the test or be approved. He's stood his ground. Why? He's really relying on the strength that comes from above, not his own strength. Because if it's based on my own strength, I want to go back to escaping the trial. And he's saying here, it's really clear. He says it up in verse 2 and 3 and 4. And then he's saying it here again in verse 12. It's how we stand the test. Okay? And there's a lot to this. You know, there's a lot involved in this. It, you know, we see it in, in regular, practical, daily living, don't we? Students, you have tests coming later on in this semester, whether it's homeschool or public school or private school, right? And all of us adults, we, we understand that. We, we get it. There's tests coming up at, at home or at work, you know, whatever. And we've got to remain there under, under that. Because God uses it for His children to refine us and strengthen us in what? In the faith. That's the idea here. Persevering, sometimes we think, oh, well that person really perseveres well. I'm not like that. I don't have that strength. I don't have that endurance. I think of that with marathon runners. People that run. How do you do that? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Kind of, you know, it's like those kind of things we think. People that just run and run and run. What are you, crazy? I'm, I'm teasing. I, but, you know, you get the idea. And some of us think that it's only certain people that have the skill or the trade or the whatever of persevering. But my friend, this is what God provides you with. It's from God, the idea of persevering and enduring. That's, his, that's part of His grace. That's part of His supply to you, is to persevere, to endure. Why? It's because if you are looking to your own strength, you will fall short. If you're looking to His strength, you will keep looking to Him and finding strength for the next step. Finding strength for the next moment. Okay? So, by persevering in the test, that's how a person is approved. That's how faith is refined. But when I try to escape it, I'm, I'm really, I'm going by my feelings more than by wanting to walk by faith. So we got to, you know, lay that out on the table and understand that. There's triumph in testing because of who you are. You are characterized by blessedness, Christian. You are blessed beyond measure. Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed in the heavenlies. You know, every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. You're blessed beyond measure. Okay? And a lot of times we get our eyes off of that. And then here's the other part of it is that perseverance comes by way of Walking with God, abiding in Him. He provides the strength in your life. You keep responding to that. Then, letter C, under number one, motivated by God's promises. 
Here's the promises of God. The crown of life. See that in verse 12? When he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised. He's promised to those who love him. Okay? Now, James refers to this as the crown of life. Paul refers to it as a crown of righteousness. Uh, Peter refers to it as a crown of glory. I believe we can say, in summary, this is the victor's crown. The victor's crown that every believer can partake in. It's the one who perseveres, who will have what God has promised, and that will that you, as a believer, will reign with Him forever. And we get to you know, walk in, in the train of His glory. We get to be a part of what He has accomplished for all of the believers, all of the elect. So that's a, that's a victor's crown. Okay? And the promises of God, you know, just in regards to eternal life, that's also something else that just, here's motivation. Motivation in saying, I, I want to, I want to be where God will work on my life. I want to be there, you know, in His will. And this is a part of His will for you. Now, if today or tomorrow something happens, it's like, no, it's no fun to deal with a trial, to deal with a difficulty. The pressure of that, we want to escape. But God is greater than that. God does His work in the life of his child who keeps looking to him. You know what the key is? Letter D. You know what the key is? It says at the end of verse 12, what does it say there? To those who love him. Now, this is one of those instances again where we think, oh, that person really loves the Lord and, and or that person doesn't love the Lord much because that person really loves the Lord a lot. Well, whoever it is that loves the Lord a lot, how is that? How does that come about? How does a person that really loves the Lord, how does that come? It comes from one place. It comes from the Father's love, doesn't it? It's the Father's love. So the key in this issue of triumphing in the testing comes from the Father's love. (laughs) Which God has promised to those who love Him. And that's a continuing continuing action kind of a thing. Not just a once in a while thing, uh, a past tense thing. No, it's a continuing thing to those who love Him. Now, many, we realize, many can say the words, I love God. But how many do that in... Remain under the trial. Remain under the difficulty. Remain there. That's the distinction. Folks who are under the trial, focused on what God's, uh, focused on God's refining work, are those who know He has a good purpose in mind. We might not be able to figure out that purpose at the moment, but God has a good purpose in it. And so much of it comes back to strengthening your faith. Don't you wish it was more of a detailed answer? I wish I had answers to some of these things. But then I stop and realize, no, I, 
I really would be better off not having the answers because God wants me to walk by faith. God wants me to trust Him. Do you know that God loves you? Really? You know that God loves you? And so that's what we respond with. 1 John 4.19. We've got to remember 1 John 4.19. 1 John 4.19 says, He first loved us. Right? We love because He first loved us. And along with that, it's knowing more specifically what Jesus has done on our behalf with His substitutionary sacrificial death. We bring that to mind and that creates love in our hearts for what He's done. Let's turn to Luke chapter 7 and look at this principle that is here. Luke chapter 7. I, I want to take time with this because this is very important, very important for us to understand as we go through whatever we go through. The difficulties and the trials and all. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36. And one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who is a sinner. Oh my gosh, they let her in? Ah, how terrible. A woman of the city. She was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet, anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, you know, if this guy were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of terrible woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Now, can you imagine? You thought that, and now Jesus is speaking directly to you of what you just thought. Answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, saying, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, Well, I... The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to him, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, don't get this mixed up in verse, 20, uh, um, in verse 47, that because she loved, she was forgiven. That's twisting things around. Because no one can do the, right, the righteousness required to be forgiven. It's only by way of what God has accomplished. Okay? And so we understand that it's because of His love, He first loved us, and now we can respond with, wow, He's forgiven me this much? 
And I think what we need to understand is all of us in this room ought to be like understanding like the woman. But the problem is many of us think we're, we don't have that much to be forgiven of. It's people like that downcast, lowly woman that's got lots to be forgiven. But you know what? When we really get down to brass tacks, you and I are just like the woman. We, we need to be forgiven much. So the response ought to be that we love much. That's the challenge. Well, I believe, you know, it's, it comes back down to what God has done. And we're reading about it. We're learning it. We're soaking it in. And then we respond saying, boy, I, I love the Lord for what he's done. I want to challenge you in this way because, you know, when we hear of what's going on in our nation, it, it just seems like there's not much love for God. It's more about, well, what has God done for me? And just, you know, in, within the last two weeks, we have this report saying many are leaving uh, uh, Christianity and, and because God, God doesn't come through. There's some study done. I, I don't have the details on it. But it, it's done and it was being advertised on, on the internet. Like, uh, you know, people are just giving up on walking away from God. I tell you, it, it comes back to you and I spending time with the Father who loves you. The Father who awaits for the prodigal to come back and who doesn't condemn him, but welcomes him, hugs him, just throws the big feast for him. We need to see that more and more in our lives. Point number two. Let's move on. I've labeled this the, in verse 13, the, the tendency of tripping. <laughs> because this is where we start tripping up and stumbling. Verse 13, back in James. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So we all have this tendency of stumbling in the midst of trials. And here verse 13 is really starting with a command, an imperative. It's a strong command saying, let no one say that when he's tempted, I'm being tempted of God. Now, do you see the little shift that's happening? Here's from trials to now, here's temptations and that's what happens we take we we understand here's the difficulty in the trial but somehow we can shift and start complaining we complain and behind the complaint is like i don't deserve this or even that person they don't deserve what they're going through they're really good person they don't deserve that and so, letter A, we, we, we've got to re- realize that underneath this command is about don't give in to complaining. That's the start of our problem. When we complain about the circumstances, rather than, what does verse 2 say? Consider it all joy. What a, what a contrast. But that's what you are called to, Christian. Consider it all joy. Don't give in to the complaining. The complaining gets us off track of what God's doing with the trial in our lives. It gets us off balance. That's why we say tripping. 
You ever know, um, there's times I've tripped coming down off the steps in front of everyone. Isn't that graceful? You know, things like that. And, you know, God gave us toes to catch our balance. I mean, that's a simple little thing, but you think about it. Your toes, they're important. They help you keep your balance. I love it. God gave us eyes to keep our focus on the road ahead. All those things. Keep your balance. Stay focused. Don't give in to the complaining. Letter B, don't start shifting the blame. Don't blame shift. In other words, blaming God, right? Many tend to blame God in one way or another. I've heard it. You've heard it. I've done it. You've done it. Not directly, but maybe more indirectly. We can blame God. You know, if God is so powerful, and if God is such, you know, such a sovereign God, why? Ooh. But we started saying it. Why? Why? Why did he? Why? Why? Why this? Why that? Now, is that a sin right there? No, I'm not saying that's a sin, but it op- it starts opening the door to it. So, the tendency of tripping starts with complaining. The tendency of tripping carries on with blame shifting, even amongst one another. Well, so and so made me do that. He cut in front of me on the freeway, and you know I did you know whatever. We have numerous ways of blaming God. After all, is, like, isn't he supposed to answer our prayers? Whatever you ask in my name, he will give it. How, how come he doesn't answer our prayers? So this is obviously short-sighted faith. Okay? So let us see. We need to regain focus, regain balance by remembering and by speaking the truth to yourself about God's character or God's nature. Both of those right there underneath uh, point 2C. God's character or God's nature. We need to remember that. We need to draw that to mind. Keep thinking about that. Because my tendency is to think of my comfort zone or our situation in life rather than the eternal perspective that I'm called to think on. My mind wants to be locked in on thinking of things that are eternal, the eternal perspective, not the temporal. Okay? God's character and God's nature. God cannot be tempted with evil. He has no, listen, He has no experience with evil is another way to translate that. He has no experience with evil. What does that affirm about God? What character, what attribute? Well, His holiness. His holiness. God's nature. He Himself tempts no one. He's not like the, uh, the plainclothes policeman that's out there just, you know, kind of acting like he's a normal Joe. And he catches the person doing the wrong. Okay? That's not God. God's not trying to solicit you or me to do evil. And here we need to understand now is this shift with, in verse 13 that the word tempt or tempting comes into play, meaning 
soliciting somebody to do evil. God's never going to deliberately lead you or solicit you to commit sin. That's contrary to who he is, contrary to his holiness. He permits certain circumstances to happen that try or test believers. But God's not responsible. Listen, God's not responsible for prompting somebody to sin. Well, that's, that's all about the tripping up and stumbling. Point number three is the trauma in the trapping. Verse 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when, it's fully, uh, when it has conceived, brings birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Here James give the, gives the, the three downward steps to temptation or to sin. Each person is tempted. He starts out in saying that in verse 14. Each person is tempted. Everyone's vulnerable. We all know that. Everyone. Doesn't matter how experienced you are in Christian ministry. Everyone is vulnerable. Tempted to do evil. Let her be. Lured and enticed. Now, when we think of lured and enticed, you know, this idea is, um, you know, we know of the, the uh, parallel with fishing. You know, you got your fishing tackle box and lures in it and you want to use the right lure. Well, that's the picture that James is bringing forth here. Lured and enticed. The attractive and pleasurable side of sin is real. It's more real than a fishing lure, if you will. <laughs> it's, sin is pleasurable. And its pull is very strong. And my friend, if you have not drawn near to God and been, you know, uh, washed in the water of the Word, you will get pulled away very easily. Okay? You need to grow strong in the things of God's Word so that you will avoid being lured and enticed. It's, this is what so easily distracts us because our mind isn't focused on Christ. Our mind is off thinking of what can I get? What can I add? What I want, I want, you know, discontent. Our, our hearts are never really satisfied until we are satisfied with Him. Let her see, by His own desire. He's lured and enticed by His own desires. <laughs> so that's why we say, hey, there's no one to blame but you. It's no one else's fault. And nowadays, in our society, we see so many um, reactions to the problems. Like you're saying, well, this person has you know, a really difficult life. They might have a really difficult life. But a lot of what we throw on it is... is it's not right. It's not, um, it, it's too, it, it opens the door to, you know, easy excuses. It's our own desire. And it's no one else's fault but your own. Sin is conceived through this. Your own desires. Look at what it says there. Verse 14. He's tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. 
So, we have to understand that. That's what comes forth. And Mark, in Mark chapter 7, if you want to jot it down, that's where Jesus talks about what comes forth from the heart. That's what defiles the man. It's not what a man takes in, not what a man eats or drinks. It's what comes out of his heart. That's what defiles the man. And the result of this, each person's tempted, he's lured and enticed by his own desire, then the life of sin, letter D, under number three, the life of sin is there. It's present. It comes forth. It's birthed. And you end up being the prisoner. You're the prisoner. Christian, some of us um, struggle with it and we give in to the temptation and what we end up doing is putting shackles back on, in a sense, in a figurative way. We're putting shackles back on our lives. Well, all the time we were like, hey, I got to get rid of these shackles. I got to get rid of the chains of the domination of sin in my life. I'm convicted about that. Yet, coming back in the struggle of the Christian life, the Christian life's not a skating party. You know, it's not a skate, you know, whatever, easygoing thing. There's a struggle with it. And you and I still have the, the old nature to deal with. Are we giving in to it? If we are, it's like throwing the chains back on, walking around with chains on. Most of you understand the, the connection with Tolkien's uh, movie, or, I'm sorry, the, the book, The Hobbit, and the different adventures, yeah. Well, there's only one character that fits this. It's Gollum. Gollum is a miserable, miserable individual. Okay? He's living like... He's a prisoner. Who is he a prisoner to? To himself. He's a prisoner to himself. He's miserable. A prisoner of his own passions, his own evil desires. He's unable to deliver himself. And I think when we are struggling with sin, we need to, you know, it's it's just a helpful little illustration to remember. I don't want to. I don't want to be that way with sin. So what's the remedy? The remedy is our purification. Deep inside our hearts. We say, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Practically speaking, I believe it's helpful to stay busy serving others and serving the Lord. Not for the sake of busyness, but for the sake of walking with the Lord and being ready to respond to what might come up. Serving the Lord with gladness in our hearts. Worship is not just an experience on a Sunday morning. Worship ought to happen where you are throughout the week. And it, it results in this idea of, here's, here's pouring out, a pouring out of my life. And so, that's the idea of what, you know, helps. Obviously, if there's sin in the life of a Christian, you've got to confess that and claim the forgiveness that God has already given. Claim it. Confess your sin. Claim it and get back up walking close with the Lord. So, that's the trauma and the trap. It's, and 
By the way, growing up in Minnesota, I remember catching lots of fish. But one in particular I remember, I, I, you know, as a kid, you're thrown out and you're casting out your, your lure and you're, you know, herky-jerky with the, the pole. I shouldn't have done that. But in one instance, and maybe some of you guys have done this too, I caught one and I reel it in. Yeah. Well, I hooked him on the belly. You know, it wasn't the way you're supposed to catch fish. You, you guys, you know, you know that. Are you hanging around in a bad place that you shouldn't be? You never know if you get hooked in the belly, so to speak. You don't want that. Well, the, the point is the hook hurts. <laughs> the hook hurts. Okay? The hook of sin hurts. So stay clear. Stay clear. Point number four, the transformation in treasuring. So now we go to verse 16 where it says, here's another warning. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. So, number one, under number four, letter A, take in God's guidance. That's in verse 16. Don't be deceived. That's God's guidance for you. There's all sorts of deceptions and lures and attractions out there. Don't be deceived. He's, he's not saying, don't be deceived, you knuckleheads. What is he saying? Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. And we know James wrote that under the inspiration of the Spirit. But I, I hear God saying that. That's what God says to you, Christian. Don't be deceived. Be locking into what He has, His will, His truth. We truly can be easily deceived. Let's not blame God. Let's not think that we don't deserve the hardship. No. God keeps calling those who are wandering, those who are confused, back to Himself to His loving guardianship over you. He's a good shepherd, isn't He? And let her be. Tally up God's goodness. That's what we sing when we sing the hymn, Count Your Many Blessings. Tally up God's goodness in your life. And it refers to God as the Father of what? Interesting phrase, the Father of lights. Praise the Lord for bright lights this morning. <laughs> we can see better. But you know what? At creation, at creation, what was the first thing that God, it's recorded that God said? Let there be light. And there was light. The Father of lights. And He never changes. And everything that God has created... It's, it's referring to God in His goodness to everyone. He created us and He put us on this earth and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yes, we live in a cursed world, but He's given us this amazingly beautiful creation. His goodness is profuse. 
His blessings are innumerable. And the more we can, you know, think of those rather than complain about our problems, the more we can say, yeah, and I'm going to keep counting it all joy when I fall into various trials. Why? God's goodness is profuse. It's His blessings are innumerable. Lock in on that. <laughs> Let us see. We treasure God's... Get it? In verse 18, we treasure God's gospel glory. We treasure God's gospel. What he does is he said, hey, every good thing, every perfect gift is from above. What's the context of this chapter? Trials. Difficulties. God's got good in store for you, Christian. He's got good plans in store for you. But his idea of good isn't our idea of good. <laughs> we need to learn what he, he is doing more and more and more. But here, now he said, and here's the climax of God's goodness. Verse 18. Look at it. <laughs> I love this. Of his own will. Of his own will. Of his choosing. Of his deliberation. Okay? He brought us forth. What does that mean? Well, of his own will, it's his choice. It was his initiative. Having willed your rescue and your restoration, can there be anything better than that? And to promise you eternal life? Promise you a home in heaven? There's nothing better than that, my friend. Here's the climax of his goodness. Of his own will, he brought us forth. What's that? He brought about new life. Just like my evil desires brings forth what? My evil desires, we said it earlier, it's like I get, sounds weird, but I get pregnant with my evil desire. And when I sin, it brings forth sin in my life. Here's what God's done. God's brought forth new life. Okay? And He's birthed that in you. And what's the combination in it? Well, God's done the work. He brought about you to rescue you by His work, by His love. We love because He first loved us. And you respond how? You responded to that in one way or another by way of submission to that. You've responded in faith. Thus, here's new life. God's brought forth new life. And here's the means by the word of truth. It's by His word. We can say, you know, oh, I, I believed. I just came to believe in Jesus. No, it was God's work in you to bring you to that place for you to respond in faith. And His word was used at one point to bring conviction. And the Holy Spirit brings conviction according to the Word of God. That's good. That's good. At the moment, you don't feel good, but that's good because it brings you out of darkness into His glorious light. Listen, we are God's creation, but as a believer, we are also God's recreation by way of the new birth. It's regeneration. What is regeneration? Okay? 
It's new life, new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we're brought about into new life by God through the preaching of the Word and the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. We are His possession. What does that leave us with? Look at the last phrase in verse 18. We are His possession. That we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Okay? This is the first and the best of the new crop presented to God. Acknowledging that all we have, you know, think of ourselves as the Israelites. All we have is from God. And so we bring forth the first fruits of our of our harvest. We bring forth that and present it to God. Signifying, here's the first fruits were God's particular possession. They belong to God. And so it is with the believer. You are proof of God's new creation. So let's shine in that way. Let's, let's let that flow out of us. Let's demonstrate it to the world. The world that we live in, the culture that we live in, it's, they're, they're locked in darkness. They're, you know, They don't know. They can't see. They can see your example. They can see Christ in you. So, as God's possession, let's yield to Him, submit to His will, His work. So, in in wrapping this up, listen, we have a responsibility. Believer, you have a responsibility. Here's what God's done. He's, He's... put his stamp of approval on it by raising Christ up and seating him at the right hand of the Father. There's a stamp of approval. So here's for you and I. What's our responsibility today and through this week? It's not just to sit back and say, well, you know, God's done everything. Yes, God's done everything. But now I have a response. I want to offer up my life to him. First fruit idea. First fruit thought. And to show a difference in this life. So the responsibility is let's stay the course with the testing. Stay the course with the testing. Stay alert for any of the trip-ups. Stay clear of the traps and the lures. Stay fixed and true for the treasuring of the gospel and the glory that is His. Okay? Our last song this morning had said it so well. When amidst the storm I'm shaken, wearied by the wind and waves, Lord within me, faith awaken. Jesus, hear me. Hear me call your name. Not to take away the turmoil, not to change the tempest tide, but to keep a constant vigil Hold me through the sleepless night. Be my rock, my steady love. Your grace, my all. For tis but enough. His grace is enough. His grace is sufficient for you, believer. 
let's know that there is triumph in the testing, okay? Let's stand together and listen to the words of the Apostle Paul from 2 Thessalonians. Finally, brothers, pray for us that we may, de- that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and He will guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things we command. May the Lord then direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Thank you, dear Lord, for this time in your word. And thank you for the strength that you provide to endure and to persevere in the midst of trials. And thank you, Lord, for how you first loved us, that we can in turn love you and respond and keep responding in love, knowing that you have good in store for us through the the trials that we're facing. Please help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, dear Lord. We thank you for your goodness to us, that you are a good, good God, and that you never change. We praise you in Christ's name. And everyone said... Amen.